0: Welcome to the Apex Vaulting Podcast. Uh, we have a great episode for you today. Uh, we have strength and conditioning coach Cam Joss with us and we're going to talk about what kind of training pole vaulters need to do. Um, super pumped to bring this episode to you. Um, if you like the podcast, please subscribe to us, and we'd love if you left a review. That helps us out a lot. Um, you can follow us on Instagram at the real apex vaulting. Um, you can also follow us on Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter. It's just Apex Vaulting. Um, if you have any comments or questions, please email us at ApexWalting at gmail.com enjoy the episode all right so uh here's cam joss so so pumped to have you here today i'm glad you made it down to the facility um cam why why don't you tell our listeners a little bit about your background like how did you get involved in strength and conditioning or you know what sports did you do when you were in high school and stuff um you know just tell us your, your your
1: origin story sure yeah i i was a high school athlete so i played high school football and I was a skinny high school football player. So okay. I was you know, I was trying to figure out I knew training was important and that people were doing it. Yeah. And that's that's how you, you know, that's how you build yourself up for your sport. I I'd, I feel like everybody knows that like
0: uh, Herschel Walker story. Yeah. You know what I mean, where it was like he missed the, uh, his like freshman year or something like that and the, the coach was like, Well just do push ups, sit ups and run and and it's like the next year he was like a monster. I'm sure puberty had something to do with that too. <laughs> Probably, yeah. Um,
1: but yeah, well, so you say you're skinny. How, how skinny? Like describe. Give us a picture. Well, at the time, uh, so when I started started trying to work out a little bit more, I was you know about 150 pounds okay. soaking wet, mm-hmm. and I was trying to play college football, and it was and everybody yeah. around me, was just like it's not gonna happen, dude. Like, right. No offense, but yeah, you gotta get bigger. You're you're a stick, you know. Yeah. and so I sought out basically the place where I work now, DeFranco's gym, I realized okay. uh, I had a couple teammates that I was asking about working out. So I just said, where do you guys train? You know, they were bigger guys and things yeah, yeah. like, Oh, we go to this place, DeFranco's and, you know, in Wyckoff, New Jersey okay. at the time. And so, uh, I, at the, that time I lived in Oakland. So it was like right down the street from, okay. from Wyckoff. So I had my mom bring me over there. I think I was 16, 17 years old. I think I was 17. And met Joe DeFranco, who I work for now, and just got into his program. And so I just, the way I felt the physical changes that happened, and basically I went from 150 pounds to 195 pounds. Before awesome. the next season. So over the yeah, course yeah. of that year, I put on like 45 pounds and I was trying to do the eating and, you know, I was just, I was just being, doing the typical kid thing where I was just eating everything in sight mm-hmm. at the same time, thinking, drinking protein shakes left and right. Yeah, and, yeah. Had, you know, just to, however I can put on size and whatever, because right. all my coaches wanted was just size. But the thing that right. Joe Joe taught me was how you have to train different qualities. You got to train right. not just strength, but power and speed and working on all these different in, in endurance and mobility, yeah. you know, whatever quality you want to think about. So Uh, Basically, I put on 45 pounds, but then I came back, and I was probably one of the fastest kids on the team, Right, and I was really explosive. And I was actually the only senior that year that didn't get hurt. Every other senior. I actually got knocked out of the last game of the season with a concussion. But Ah. I was just, you know, at the time, it was like – That's football. Yeah, yeah, you know, it is what it is. It's a contact-related thing. So, But no soft tissue injuries whatsoever, whereas all the other seniors were dropping like flies because they weren't doing any type of training. So after that, I was like – this is pretty cool. You know, I, I love sport. Yeah. I love performance. I love so, all that. So before you continue, I'm
0: sorry. Yeah. I'm going to probably keep doing this. No, that's but fine. But y- you said some interesting things. I think, you know, like we were talking about before the podcast, you know, in the pole vault community, it's like people think if you if you gain weight, it's always a negative. Like they always view it as a negative. And, you know, it's interesting. You said, you know, you were 150. You got up to 195. And now you gain so much more speed. I mean, could you tell us maybe some numbers that maybe you remember off the top of your head? Like what happened to your 40-yard dash? 150, Wang 150 versus Wang 195, do you remember? I think with the 40 yard
1: dash it's hard to say. Because I did go to a Nike combine and actually hit in the four, six range when I okay. was, and that was when I was around the one eighties. So that was okay. when I was midway through my transition at that right, point right, right. before that, I had never really timed, but I can tell okay. you, I definitely wasn't running that fast. Right. Um, but the biggest thing I think was like the jumping that I did. Cause okay. Yeah. Tell yeah, us I think, that. I think just Joe, he he used to have a little vert tech, like what they use at the NFL combine where you slap the, you right, right, right. slap the things. And so, um, I think I started at like a 30 inch vertical when I was one fifty. And so, somewhere around that 185 to 190 range, I think I was hitting around 34 on there. So I was just, you know, putting four inches on the vertical. Yeah, that's, while, you know.
0: that's huge. And that that's something where in the pole vault community, you know, for people who are listening, because I know they're going to want to know, like, okay, how can what we hear today help our athletes mm-hmm. or help me as an athlete? And think about that, a four-inch increase in your vertical leap, and you gained, you know, 35, 40 pounds, people would think, no way, that's not possible. But it's like, it is, you know, gaining weight doesn't necessarily have to be like, oh, I'm getting fat. It's, you're getting faster, more powerful. It's going to help you jump up at takeoff, which is going to help add grip. You know what I mean? To, to, athletes. Cause in pole vault, we're always trying to get our grip up and then trying to jump higher, you know? Um, yeah, I, I, I think that's, that's super, super important. And then you bring up another point, like, not getting injured could you maybe go into detail a little bit about that like how can training help keep me like uh from getting injured because i know a lot of a lot of pole vault athletes they don't realize sometimes how abusive the pole vault is like you know you have to jump up at takeoff you're hitting a hard surface like that pole's hitting a, a metal box you're getting jostled constantly how can strength and conditioning help me to prevent maybe a shoulder injury a back injury that that kind of deal
1: sure yeah i mean everything you just said is is great because you know after I had that realization of what all that stuff did for me physically, I was able to go play in college, and I played at University of Rhode Island. Mm-hmm. And there, I studied exercise science, studied kinesiology, yeah. and that's where I started to learn why that stuff was happening. Yeah, right? yeah. So, um, in terms of people look at a lot of stuff in black and white, right? They mm-hmm. think they look through it in this very simplistic mindset. But right. The, the reality is that humans and athletes are complex, right? right there's, yeah. There's layers and layers and layers to so, to these athletes, so. People think heavier weight is slower automatically, but they're not, they don't understand how power is developed, right? Right. If we, if we understand that power is force times velocity, right, we can increase power by increasing force or increasing velocity. So we either get stronger or we get faster, right? right? So, but if you look at the adaptations required to get stronger, it's going to require things like, adding size to the muscle fibers so that they're more densely packed into their contractile units. And that's going to allow for a faster contractile speed and just add some more strength. Basically it's going to add a bigger punch to when the muscle contracts. What's what's the punch of that contraction going to be? So that's how we're getting stronger. And sometimes that involves, you know, muscular hypertrophy, which is just building muscle. And that's going to lead to sometimes some weight gain because muscles, muscle can be heavy. Yeah. Um, But I think it's just about people understanding the frame of the athlete if the athlete has a big frame and they're and they're just distributed it or distributed mm-hmm. in an efficient way right just being heavy is not gonna mean anything per se you right know, when i was down uh we, we were down in austin texas for two years for a short stint and then we came back to new jersey but when i was down there i met trey hardy he's a silver medalist in the right. decathlon. right yeah, yeah. yeah big dude like yeah, big guy. Like mm-hmm. you, you, he's, but he's distributed where on TV he looks really lean, right? But then when you see him in person, he looks like a freaking superhero, like right. an action figure. And right. And he's, he's tall, and he's and he's big. I think I don't know how much he weighs, but he looked like he was at least two twenty. Yeah, right? I mean, and he's, he's and yeah. he's doing all these different events. Right. Pole vault, so, one of them. He's a big, to athlete. He's actually married to a pole vaulter too. Right. Yeah. 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 So I met his wife down there as well, and so, and she's not. She looks like an athlete. Like she's not right. like she's not a petite little girl. Like she's right. she's an athletic, like same thing. Looks like yeah. a superhero. Right. You know yeah, what yeah, I mean. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, along those same lines, when you talk about preventing injury, well, I mean, when it comes to what you're talking about, mm-hmm. you know, we're talking about the pole is jostling you around, yeah, or yeah. you can think of that as almost a form of collision because literally right. the pole is going to collide into the floor. So obviously, right. we work a lot with collision-based sports that are obvious, like football, rugby, yeah, sports yeah. like that. But people tend to forget that collisions really just absorbing vibrational force in some way, shape, or right. form, right? So in track and field and sprinting, every time that sprinter collides with the ground with their foot, that's a collision. I mean, man. there's vertical ground reaction force data that shows you can be up to six to eight times your body weight of force into the ground right. on one step, and that's just sprinting. So forget about driving a pole into the ground and launching right. yourself into the air yeah. and all that stuff. So what you're talking about is just if if your body doesn't have the coordination to handle. The ability to withstand and resist and, and transmit force, right. right? That's that can lead to soft tissue injury because there's, again, injuries are super complex and multifactorial right. as well. Layers and layers to all that stuff. But exactly what you're saying, where the non-contact stuff, right? Mm-hmm. Which we we think of traditionally as just contact as being like two guys are colliding. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I, I like to look even further where some non-contact is actually really contact oriented because right. it's either it's a, it's a sharp collision with the ground with your foot or, you know, just with the, with the pole or something, yeah, yeah, whatever yeah, yeah. it might be. Mm-hmm. And so if you're just training to be coordinated, strong, well-rounded, powerful, fast, you're training your body to handle different ways of creating, producing and transmitting force and withstanding force. So just exposing the athlete to a lot of different, Experiences is how I like to put it. It's just okay. we're giving you an experience when we're when we're lifting weights, when we're doing jumps, when we're at specific, yeah. you know, technical pole vault practice. Mm-hmm. We're putting you through an experience, and if you're unfamiliar with an experience or your body, some some body segments mm-hmm. unfamiliar with an experience, there's always going to be a chance that it's just not ready to handle that experience. At which right. point, there could be an injury that ensues.
0: So, I mean, what I often find, too, is, like, sometimes the athletes that I feel like are at most risk are the ones that, let's say, have a lot of pole vaulting experience. They're very good at pole vaulting, but let's say they took some months off mm-hmm. of their training. And those athletes are always the ones that I worry about getting injured because now it's like they have the technical proficiency to create the speed and the impact at takeoff, but now because they have been training, they don't have the the musculature. You know what I mean? Their body can't handle that impact anymore. And I, I mean, I myself actually very recently like hurt my arm uh, pole vaulting because I don't normally pole vault a lot, and I just that what my body wasn't prepared for that, and I, I put myself through too much impact. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so yeah, I, I, for me, I've always viewed strengthening and conditioning as not only a way to get faster and stronger, but prevent injuries. Like I, I know if I, if I can get a, like, let's say shoulders are always an issue for a lot of pole vaulters. If you have a strong shoulder, you're going to be able to handle more impact. You're less likely to get hurt. I mean, that's my simple way of thinking. I don't right. know if that
1: makes sense, but yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything is going to be to, to, to simplify heavily. You're always going to have. Just general training and specialized training. So your specialized training is going to be your sports practice. If we're doing Mm -hmm. pole vault, that's specifically training for the pole vault event, doing pole vault-oriented drills, right? Right. That's the specialized training. And we always have to think about that context when we're designing our general training. Okay. So we have to work backwards from that and say, what, what do pole vaulters need? to be strong, powerful, and fast as mm-hmm. a pole vaulter. Right. You know what I mean? It might be right. different than what a football player needs or what a track right. and field sprinter needs sometimes, you know? Right. But at the end of the day, there are going to be general abilities that are performed in something like weight room that are just human abilities. That right. We're just, we're just enhancing the human as a human. Right. So that doesn't matter if you're the 50 year old businessman, you know, the 60 year old retiree, right. or you're the 20 year old pole vaulter. Okay. It's just, we're building body strength, body mobility general endurance, general power. So I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with Mike Boyle.
0: He, yes. he the trainer in new England for people that don't know, look up Mike Boyle on Instagram and stuff. He, he's a great strength and conditioning coach. I love, he had a post where he talked about, um, Oh my goodness. Like a, uh, your sport is gy- different. Yeah, right. he, Olympic <laughs> Olympic gymnast, a basketball player, a hockey player, a football player. He's like all these different professional athletes come to my my gym and he goes, Eighty percent of what they do is the same. Right. There's that twenty percent that they tinker with depending on what each athlete needs or what they need for their sport. Mm-hmm. But we all have the same musculature. Like we all have, you know what I mean? It's like, everybody has a glute. Everybody has right. a hamstring. Like it's not like someone's body is missing or has extra, mu- you know what I mean? Like, yes.
1: so it's like you have to train those, those parts, you mm-hmm. know? So for me, when I'm designing my strength training programs, I had this conversation with somebody recently. They said, how do you know, you know, which day do you put different muscles? And I was like, well, I think less about muscles and more about joint movement. So mm-hmm. you could have a straight leg hip extension, which would be something like a deadlift, right? right. Or you could have a bent leg hip extension which would be like a glute bridge or something like okay. that. So like, yeah, you could argue and say, we're hitting the glutes, we're hitting the hamstrings. You could say all that stuff, but I'm thinking more in terms of patterns. And that way I, could, I understand if I'm training somebody from a, from a joint movement standpoint mm-hmm. that – the human body only has X amount of joint movements that it's going to do, right? Yeah. So, and then again, like you're saying, the twenty percent, so eighty percent, very similar. That twenty percent, you still have to factor in because you know, let's say we have somebody who's a pole vaulter or mm-hmm. a pitcher in baseball or something, where right. we have to take care of the shoulder. So, yeah, theoretically, I could do ten sets of ten overhead presses and get their shoulders strong, quote unquote. Right, right, right. But is it going to be strong? The way they need it the to be strong. The way we kind of need it to be strong, or is it just going to be we're just crushing the shoulder joint? And now right. when they try to go do pole vault, their shoulders are destroyed yeah. From, yeah. All, from all that stuff, right? So that's where I – like that 20% is key, and that's why I say you work backwards from you know where's it need to get to, mm-hmm. and then what are some of the ways we can strengthen that area or that joint movement? And there's, there's, so, there's thousands if not millions of ways – that you can strengthen each body segment mm-hmm. so that so the specific way you do it like i'm not married to any exercise or anything right, right, like right. that it's more about just i know i need to strengthen this joint movement or this area so like how do we accomplish that goal and then allow them to practice because if if the strength conditioning is taking away from the practice it's a problem too right you know no I mean? no 100
0: percent. because even i've had uh you know athletes over the years at apex um you know we were talking about calvin before um he's a perfect example because at a certain point in his like pole vaulting career like he just fell in love with strength and conditioning so much. And then he got into the mindset, like, forget about pole vault. I know if I hit this number, I'll jump higher, but it's like, not really. Like right. you, you still have to make sure that the pole vaulting is occurring and not get lost in just the lifting. You right. know what I mean? So you, you need both. It's got to work well together. Um, yeah I mean it just got to coincide together. i kind of know the thought uh that i'm having that like we talked about before the podcast i was I was dming with an athlete uh, and you know I'll i 'll just give the the numbers. She weighs one hundred and twenty five pounds she benched one hundred and fifty six and I asked you what should she be able to then deadlift and squat? You said three hundred. I agree with you. why do you think that and why do you why do you think sometimes like i, I know in pull vault, People kind of like they'll love doing upper body stuff, but then lower body they won't do. Like, why? Why does that happen? Why do people think that? Like, I, you know, I, I don't know. I don't want to deadlift too much, or I don't want to squat too much. What are some? What, why do you think some athletes have these beliefs? And why? Why should that number be three hundred? You know what I mean? Like, what, explain that.
1: Well, I think it there was just an estimated guess based off patterns. Right. We yeah, see, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 So I think it's really just about. Uh, ultimately, you want to see a well-rounded. Athlete or, or person. person, right. you know, if they're if they're involved in training. So, if you see a dra- if if they're deadlifting the same that they're benching, basically. I mean, yeah. I mean, bench press is going to be it, technically it is like a full body motion, but it's it's really more isolating upper the body, upper body, body dominant, right? Yeah, versus a deadlift, which is obviously a full body. You know, much more motor units are being activated. Right. You know, the body is just. Uh, Involved with more total body musculature when mm-hmm. you're when you're lifting something heavy off the ground, With, right. with and holding it in your hands, right? Yeah. So, um, if her ability to do that is close or you know not yeah. drastically better than just lying down and pressing something, which is right. not something you would really see in life that much, right? 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 Like, like you'll you'll pick something heavy off the ground, so it's important to be strong there. So, I think it's just about building a well-rounded athlete, and um, yeah, I think it's just when you think about a lot of these issues in athletics of any kind, could be team sport, could be track and field, yeah, yeah. could be MMA, right? We were talking mm-hmm. about that off air before as well. Yeah. It, it, my my mentor and buddy Fergus Connolly, who I recently wrote a book with, he he said uh he calls it the nine most used words, which is this is the way we've always done it. Right. And um or this is just the way it's always been done. Right. And so people just have it, it's almost like they develop this mindset and nobody questions them on on it. Right. And then they just think that's the way it is. It's mm-hmm. like, you know, we're talking about at MMA, they think I'm gonna be heavy, and then two weeks before I fight, I'm gonna just crush myself with conditioning, I'm gonna throw yeah. up, I'm gonna cut sweat weight. out, yeah, I'm gonna yeah, cut yeah. weight, and then just magically hope I perform really like you just do this dr- like amazingly yeah, unhealthy yeah. things. Right. And then hope I'm gonna fight at a at a high level instead of like, well, maybe in, theoretically wouldn't it make more sense to gradually taper your weight down right, and every right, way for right, right. months and months and months, right? And you can gradually adjust as along the way, right? But it's the same thing with any other sport where people have misconceptions of, you know, if I start training my legs, my legs are going to be too heavy. Now I'm not going to be able to make it over the pole or whatever. But they're not. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're thinking about by the time you're going over the pole. I mean, ultimately, it's it's going to be a product of what went into that, which is right. sprinting to the into the vault, yeah, right, and applying the power into the ground through the pole and then transmitting that over the pole. Yeah, so yeah. you have to think about less about like, am I going to be too heavy over the pole more about like, how do I just maximize my ability?
0: Well, like, yeah, like we were talking about before the podcast, it's like, well, it's like, okay, if you want to jump whatever height, right? Like if you're a male and you want to jump 19 feet, there's already a prerequisite speed. Like if you don't have that runway speed, you can't jump that high anyway. You know, (laughs) if you're a female and you want to jump 15 feet, there's a prerequisite speed. So if you can't hit that speed, it doesn't even matter. Like, so I don't know why we're trying to say, save the weight off our legs. I, I think another thing that I always think about, I think people love training upper body because it doesn't hurt that much.
1: It's not as uncomfortable. And
0: yeah, like when you squat and deadlift, I mean, you might feel like throwing up. <laughs> it's going to be painful. And, and I think, you know, I, I always think uh, a friend of mine, uh, Dr. Andrew Brown, he's going to be so pissed that I even mentioned his name, but he, he's a physical therapist. And you know, we talked about it and he was telling me about like one study he read where he's like, you have to remember pain is just a, a, a message being sent to your brain and the way you interpret it, you know? And that's why it's like, you know, people who like literally like could break a limb, like break a bone and just keep going. Cause they don't interpret it as this massive pain. And I'm sure you've experienced it where an athlete gets blood to a muscle for the first time and they feel that. And they're like, Whoa, they're like, They think that's like, I'm hurt, but it's like, no, there's just some blood went into the area. It's completely normal. And so the things that you'll experience when you do a heavy, I think, lower body session, it's like it's not easy. And I, I, I think people have to learn to work that hard. You know, I mean, is that something that you've experienced, like, training people that, like, the first time, like, pushing them lower body-wise, it was, like, very uncomfortable and, like, you had to, like, teach them to kind of get used to
1: it? Yeah, and it's very interesting when you expose athletes to, to different forms of strength training because I like to provide variety in what I do. Mm-hmm. And, and, and going back to what you said, there's, there's an obvious difference between pain and discomfort right you know and it's really the discomfort that they think is they, they they might say that hurts and so i ask them i say is it like your bone your joint like your yeah you like something there because that's a problem or is it just like your muscle burns like no it's like a burn i'm like that's discomfort yeah <laughs> that's that's the result of the, the like you're saying the blood and the metabolites all this stuff flooding the area mm-hmm. as a result of just doing intense muscular work but it's funny because i have different athletes that will cater to different things so some of them You know, we'll put them on more of a a split stance, single leg oriented Mm -hmm. exercise. Let's just say for sake of visual, it's just a reverse lunge with a barbell on your back or something like that. Mm -hmm. If it's an athlete that caters more to power and speed and they're just they're they're used to that higher level of athleticism. They will, they will love doing that Mm -hmm. as a form of strength training. And then if you have them do a bilateral squat or deadlift, they never want to do that. And then the bigger, stronger, like NFL lineman type guys or just big wrestler, like sumo wrestler type guys, they want to squat and deadlift all day. And then you get them on one leg and because they're heavy, they don't feel comfortable on one leg. And they're like, I don't like that. So I I make everybody do all of it. right? And So I'm just like, I want you to be able to have the skill to do all this stuff. And that's really like where my program, it stems from a skill-centric mindset. Well, and and I I think that's a
0: great way to put it, you know, like – Again, we were talking about before the podcast. Like Even when I have athletes come into my club for the first time just doing pole vault stuff, doing a pole vault practice, I'm like, look, are you an athlete? Okay, cool. Show me that you can do this skill because yep. athletes have to be skillful. And the more skills an athlete has, the better. You know what I mean? Like, Like you said, if you have that variety in, in your strength and conditioning – I mean, it's not going to hurt that lineman to be able to do, like, unilateral movements. Like, that's only going to be a benefit, you know. And vice versa, for that athlete that's more power explosive, it's going to benefit them also to be able to do the bilateral movements. You you know what I mean? That'll help them as well. And like you said, making a well-rounded athlete is, I I mean, it it just makes sense. Like, to me, I don't see how, like, going back to that example, again, this woman, she weighs 125 pounds, benches 156 only deadlifts 200 it's like she's not going to become a worse pole vaulter by deadlifting 300 no you know what i mean like i mean unless she had to put on like 200 pounds to do that which that shouldn't happen right but you know it's like it's it's only going to be an added benefit to her
1: result in her sport you know yeah and a couple things along that along that uh line right there is that for one there are if you do enough research into strength and conditioning, you'll find that there are specific methods to ensure you don't have excessive muscle gain, mm-hmm. and you can still get the nervous system components of strength, which is what we're really talking about. Well, yeah, the nervous you know,
0: system is huge, and I feel like so few people in the public community understand this. But go, right. go ahead, no, go yeah, ahead. absolutely. Go ahead. It,
1: I mean, shit, most of us don't understand it. Yeah, you know, it's just something that we're we're still trying to figure out. But when you think about the fact that we're just trying to teach the body how to activate muscle fibers from Mm -hmm. a nervous system. If you just think of it as like a patient's passed out in the hospital, they do clear and they zap them, right? Right. That's really what happens to the muscle from the nervous system. It's an electrical signal that causes the muscle to fire. So we want to improve that mechanism so the muscle fires more efficiently, more fibers operate at the same yeah, time yeah, yeah. and then different muscle groups fire in a coordinated fashion. So that, that's right. all the neural components we talk about when we're doing strength training or power training, whatever. Right. And so for athletes that are, uh, you know, high level sprinters or whoever that want to maintain their size, fighters do the same thing. There's, there are methods like cluster sets, which would be instead of doing five reps in a row that causes that muscle burn and you flood the area with mm-hmm. all of those biochemistry components that are going to lead to muscle gain. Instead, you could do something like you do one rep, rack the bar, take 10, 15 seconds, take it off, do another rep. So that's all part of the same set. But it's allowing the body to flush out some of that stuff where it's saying, hey, we want that neural component. We want the muscle to fire, but we're not going to burn it so much that now we're telling the body to put muscle on. Right, right. So there's there's advanced methods to, to work around that for sure. But the other thing is you're talking about a female. Who, for them, they will put on muscle, of course, but not nearly to the same degree as guys. Right. And that's that's another misconception about women is, like, as soon as I get under the bar, I'm just going to be super yoked and jacked and whatever. Right. But, I mean, let's be real. Like we talked about before, like, you're going to have to have some muscle fiber uh, size differential in terms of how densely packed it is into that mm-hmm. muscle fiber unit. And that's going to give you more force, which is going to help right. give you a better foundation for power. Yeah. So I think it's just if really it's about what are the results, you know? So if mm-hmm. it's, it's not about like, Hey, you put 20 pounds on and you know, if you're slower, yeah, that's a problem. Or right. If you're less powerful, like that's probably not good weight, you know? Right. Right. And there's going to be a diminishing returns aspect, of course. Like mm-hmm. at, some, at some point you're just going to not look good for your frame because you're going to be too densely packed and you should be right. at, the, at the Arnold classic or yeah, something, yeah, 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 se- yeah. you know, instead of being in, in pole vault. But that's just, If you don't even know how to start going down that road, just to play around with that and say, like, you know, because you can always drop weight. You can always put weight on. Right. Well,
0: well, one thing that I always explain to people, I mean, like, look, there's no, I think, perfect formula, right? Like, you can't look at a person and be like, okay, let's look at Steve. Steve should never weigh more than 185. You don't know. We don't know. You have to see how his body performs once he gets to 185. If he got better, let's – Maybe even go up another five pounds. And you have to see that because even, uh, you know, to use Calvin as an example, you know, when he jumped at Ramapo, he went from 14 to 15.9. And there were times during his training where he's like, oh, I I feel sluggish. I'm like, well, you know what? Your mid mark, which is super important, we keep track of that, and that kind of is like a speed indicator. I'm like, your mid mark moved back three feet you're on 15 pounds stiffer pole and you're gripping six inches higher. So you may feel slow and sluggish, Mm -hmm. but your performance is indicating that you're way better and you PR'd, you know what I mean? So it's like, sometimes it's like, you can't go off of how an athlete always feels. Cause I I think even just hard training, you will feel a little sore. Maybe sometimes you will feel a little bit sluggish, but if you are improving, I, th- I think you know you get you got to keep going, right?
1: Yeah, you know, no, for sure, and that's what I'm saying. I think the sport result is going to tell what's working and what's not, right? And like you know, even in team sport, which is very complex due to all the interacting elements, but either way, the game is going to be the best test of is are, is what we're doing working or not, right? And just like you, know, the pole vault meet or the the, the numbers yeah. you're, you're getting in practice, that's going to indicate what's happening and what's not. So, as an example, you know, we train guys for. NFL combines and, mm-hmm. and just combine based events. And we had one guy who was a linebacker, and for whatever reason, at 245 he ran his best. Okay. If he was two forty, he didn't he wasn't as good because there was like some weird strength loss that happened. Right, right. But then two fifty was too slow because I was just too big. Right. So it was almost like in theory you'd be like, let's get you down to like even maybe two thirty-five to get you faster, faster, faster. But right. because of his frame and his body, the best way to uh, produce optimal force and power into the ground on each step for whatever reason it was around 245 body weight right. but it was it's it's less about the weight more about just his ability to match his frame and then we were measuring to see you know you got to figure out where you, if you don't know where you're where you are you don't know where you're going or you know or if you don't right. know where you're going well, you know
0: well that's a that's a huge thing too is like people have to start tracking data mm-hmm. you know what I mean like for me in the pole vault it's like your grip and then your push off, like how much above your grip you can clear those mid marks. You know, because the further back your mid moves, the bigger your strides are. You're running faster. You know, and then tracking the weights in in, in the weight session, any other exercises if you're doing like box jumps or vertical leaps or whatever. Like the more data you can have, the more informed decisions you can make as a coach or an athlete. And That's I right. think I think that starts to become super super important. I think the biggest mistake people can make is not trying. Because mm-hmm. I love that, like, well, I'm not sure, so I just I don't want to mess anything up. I'm not going to do anything. Well, then you're not going to improve. Right. At least go earn your mistake. Go out there, try something. If it didn't work, try something else. You know, because I feel like that that's a problem. Like, I feel like too many people tell me that they're like, well, I don't I don't want to mess anything up, so I just I'm not going to do strength and conditioning. Yep. I'm just going to pull ball. Then you're you're gonna get to a point where you can't get any better. Like right. you're gonna reach that 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 ceiling, and that's it. You're not gonna be able to bust through it. You know? Yeah. I, I mean, I don't know. What, what advice would you give to someone who's like maybe afraid to try stuff? You know what I mean? Like what, what what's a good way for them to start out? Like I'm talking about someone just pole volts. They don't and no knowledge of strength and conditioning. I mean, obviously they should probably seek out advice from someone like you, but like, where could they start? They have access to their weight room in their high school or college. You know what I mean? Like they can
1: do a little bit of stuff. What, what's like a basic thing that maybe you, you would give as advice. Well, my favorite one to give, cause this applies to any sport, whether it's a team sport or it's some type of racing sport or whatever, or mm-hmm. something like pole vault is every athlete's going to go through what, uh, my mentor, Fergus Cotley calls the four coactive model and th- these are four components that are always going to determine where their performance is. And what that mm-hmm. means is, is tactical. It's like, do they understand the sport? Do they understand what they need to do, the tactics that go into it? Right. Right? Um, that would mean, like, do I understand how pole vaulting works? Like, does it, do I understand yeah, how yeah. to do well at pole vaulting? Right. Um, the rules associated with it. Technical would be the next one. And that's just your skill in the actual mm-hmm. sport context. So if you're pole vaulting, do I have this skill Right, and that's going to be based upon whoever I am. Um, like you're talking about adjusting where you're holding the pole. When yeah, you're just how running form, jumping off the ground. Yeah. Th- those are technical elements to give you the output that you want. Then you have psychological, which is obvious, right? Do you have the right mindset, like what you're talking about? Yeah. Are you Are you willing to? Uh, Do what's necessary to achieve the results, which might also include causing a little bit of change to what you're doing right now in your routine, right? So psychological, and how do I handle high-pressure moments on meet day or something like that, right? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And then then the last one's obviously physical. Do I have the underlying fitness to handle what I need Mm -hmm. to do for my sport? So what you're saying is if you have somebody that's only pole vaulting all the time, then – the problem with that is it's like it's like somebody who specializes in just pitching a ball, or right. all I do is play basketball, and that's it right so at that standpoint, yeah, so technically you're probably going to be pretty good you know because mm. you 're just practicing all the time, so right. you practice something, you get better, you have yeah. a coach you're working with right so your technicality is going to be there uh, tactically, you probably understand what you need to do in the sport right and then psychologically you're probably good with the sport itself, but do you have a full psychological mindset, but like really the last thing is physically. That's where you have to worry about is, hey, you know, I need to – it's not just is one better than the other. I have to lift all of these coactives together. Right. So if I'm neglecting the physical preparation standpoint, which is what you were talking about, what Boyle says, is just the underlying framework to be a healthy human where it's going to benefit all of us, no matter who, to try different stuff. Right. So if from a physical standpoint especially – so Buddy Morris, the strength coach for the Arizona Cardinals, I heard him have – he had a great quote one time where he said, when the brain stops learning, stops, the body stops growing, right? Yeah, so and yeah. we're not talking about put on muscle or whatever. We're talking right. about the body growing in terms of how it functions as this awesome piece of machinery, right? right? So if I'm just – I'm only going to pole vault all the time. Then all I ever know is pole vault right? That's the only skill I know. I know how to hold a pole. I know how
0: to run towards the vault and just go into it. Well, and, and similar to maybe almost like, I know baseball players get superstitious too. Right. Pole vaulters become superstitious because even they don't have enough variation in their pole vault sessions. Mm -hmm. And these are the guys that have to do some kind of like crazy skip into their approach or, you know, whatever. And it's like, You don't have variability. You don't have the skill to move and change. You know what I mean? Like I've had athletes who've come into my gym and I'm like, all right, we're going to like, we're going to do what you normally do. Like, let's say it's like a three left approach, but I'm going to change the way you carry the pole. I can't do that. You just, you're a stud. You just gave me your numbers. You're an athlete. I have like this little middle school girl doing this. We're just varying it a little bit. Mm. No, I can't, I can't do this. It's like. That's a mental thing too. And right. I think that's where even the physical training comes in. Like when you can go into that squat rack, you know what I mean, for that next set and you know you're going to feel like throwing up or you know you may throw up and you could still go through that. I think that brings so much toughness to even like the meat day. You
1: know right. what I mean? Like competition. Yeah. And if we if we look at theories of motor control, especially nonlinear pedagogical Principles, not to be super fancy, but yeah, basically yeah. like every athlete has these degrees of freedom as they call. Them, right. So mm-hmm. that means like my joints can move in different ways. I have certain skills based upon my experiences. Mm-hmm. Like these are just things that I, I have available to me, mm-hmm. but then they have what they call coordinative structures, which is like, how do we coordinate those degrees of freedom into these efficient, those yeah. coordinative patterns that lead to what we're doing. So sometimes if you have an athlete who's struggling in the sport, you know, say it's pole ball or something, and yeah. they've never trained for strength training before, and they're, they're plateaued at a certain height or something like that, you get their general force ability to go up. Now you've given them this new degree of freedom because they've never right. had access to that strength before. Yeah. You give them access to that, which also leads to more body awareness. Maybe they've never felt their glute before, and all of a sudden yeah. you give them a glute bridge, they're like, oh, that's that's my butt. Like That's that's, yeah. that's, that's, that's where that is. Mm-hmm. right?" And so now it's like you're giving them access to things they didn't have before that they might now be able to tie in to what they're doing in sports practice, and all of a right. sudden they're like, I have this whole new body awareness that's going into my vaulting. Right. So now you know I can try different things based upon how my force is different. You know, like mm. the the great Russian hammer throw coach and scientist, uh, and Anatoly Bondarchuk, he was talking about mm. how he would, as his throwers were improving their fitness qualities, their strength, their power, their speed, on a general standpoint, right. he was still having them shot put. Right. And throw hammers yeah, and yeah. pins, right? Because he wanted them to feel, hey, as you're improving your strength, your power, your speed, I want you to funnel that now to yeah, what you're apply doing. it yeah, to, yeah. to the event. So, so you're never getting too far from the skill, but you're still bringing up these physical qualities. And the good thing about taking data is that, it, if anything, it allows you to just rule stuff out. So if right. it's like you know, if you're if you're thinking, are they powerful? Are they strong? From a general standpoint, like how are they doing with that stuff? Well, we can have them do strength training. We can take numbers on different types of lifts and have a variety. Like how do they squat? How do they deadlift? How do they split stance lift? Or how do they bench press? You have all these different numbers to see. And if those are pretty good, it's like, that's not really a limitation for them. Right. I mean, so, what about power? How, like, if we just right. put them on a jump mat and have them jump, are they just naturally explosive, or the, you know, are they only explosive in the context yeah. of pole vault? But if we can raise those the general foundational qualities, it's just it's such a better foundation for so, the sport.
0: You know, it's funny that you even said that that way. Like, I, I find it shocking sometimes how people don't realize. And I, I think in the pole vault community, the one thing that we do a bad job of, and I know, especially in my younger days coaching, I would think I was like some kind of magician because I would get this like high school boy who now just went through puberty and boom, they PR like two, three feet. And you think you're a stud coach. You're like, Oh my God, I'm amazing. But it's like, you literally, all you've done is teach the skill of pole vaulting. And this kid went through puberty. So naturally got more explosive and they have that explosive ability. But yeah, I'll see some of these explosive athletes now. And you know, a a hanging leg raise, right? Like toe to toe to bar. I'll see athletes who, who could jump like over 16 feet. They cannot toe touch a bar. And I'm Mm. like, that you're just not trying. Like you know what I'm saying? i'm not I'm not asking them to do like that human flagpole trick. like that's really, really <laughs> hard. Not maybe everybody can achieve that. But it's like to get toes to bar, a hanging leg raise. I mean, you have to be able to do that. Like talking about skills, it's like that's a skill you need. I mean, first of all, you want to be able to swing upside down on a pole, but you can't do a hanging leg raise. Mm-hmm. I mean, that means you're just using your explosiveness and your speed on the runway as momentum to kind of get you to that position, right. but you don't have like the prerequisite strength to actually be able to do it without speed. Right. And this is why a lot of times for me, at, you know, with our pole club, a lot of athletes come in, they don't like it, because I'll make them do stuff from a zero, meaning no run, or I'll make them do it from one or two lefts, where it's like you don't have a lot of runway speed to help you out, and you have to actually have the strength and ability on the pole without yeah. all that, that speed behind you. Mm-hmm. And it's like, to me, it's like, as a pole vault coach, like I'll feel terrible about myself if one of my best vaulters didn't have that. Like, if, they, if you can't do a hanging leg raise, toes to bar, to me, it's like, I didn't do my job as a coach because I know that skill alone would have made a dramatic impact in their vaulting. You know what I mean? And now, never mind talking about like squat numbers or deadlift numbers or bench or pull-ups. I mean, even for me, I mean, it's very rare that people do like weighted pull-ups. And to me, that's like in the pole vault, the lat area is so, so important to Mm -hmm. get you to get upside down and push off the top of the jump. It's like you can't just like – like what would you say to people because this is a big problem in the pole vault. A lot of people like will swear that all they ever need to do is body weight exercises. What could be an issue with that?
1: Well, I I agree they need to be proficient in that. For yeah, sure, sure. You, yeah, of course. You need, you need to be able to control your body. I just think that uh, you know you, theoretically you could always manipulate things based based on position and how it interacts with right. gravity to apply more. You know, but ultimately it's just we want to be able to provide the athlete with different experiences. And so if they're constantly just only doing pole vault oriented stuff or only do it, like speaking of bonder again, he had different classifications for exercises okay. where you have like general exercise, you have specialized preparatory, which means mm-hmm. we're kind of working the same muscles we need to work in the same fashion. So let's mm-hmm. say, you know, for sprinting, we understand it's a split position and the leg needs to be strong on one leg. So then a specialized preparatory exercise might be a barbell reverse lunge, right? Okay. And he has specialized developmental, which now is going to be uh, just some type of drill for the pole vault, which right. which could be just sprinting, right? right. Like a sprint, you got to sprint towards it without a right. well, we'll say without a pole, right? right That's right. a specialized developmental skill, and then you have your competition skills, which is literally just working with a pole vault and working right, with that, right. that skill there. So, if you think about it from that standpoint, you, you want to try to hit on, on all those different areas. So, mm-hmm. if general exercise, if I'm just doing stuff that I'm only thinking in terms of is this like for pole vault or, or, you know, so like that's great cause you need to develop that specialized preparatory developmental right. yeah. and competition stuff. But if we're neglecting general exercises, it's just like you were saying before, if, if an athlete can do a toes to bar, like for, from your perspective as the pole vault coach, you're believing that uh, that's going to free up something for them, right? That's going right. to give them access to something they didn't have before. So we know, we know athletes are the the greatest compensators, right? Mm-hmm. And, Meaning, like, if you tell them to do something, they'll find a way to do it. Yeah. Like, if you say get over that or whatever, like, you're talking about... They're they're compensating with more speed into it because they don't have the mobility to hit that yeah, yeah, that yeah. spinal position or whatever to get over the bar. They'll try to like knock themselves into position instead right. of getting their uh, technically sound. So know? they'll find a way to do it. They'll compensate somehow. But imagine a world now where they they are freed up and given access to that mobility. Right, that frees up potential for who knows where their speed can get now. You know, it's right. like with a sprinter. Like let's say they're missing hip extension or something like that, mm-hmm. where they or they just don't have good uh, you know, ankle stability or something. Yeah, like that. Yeah. If we start giving them that, how's that now going to give them the opportunity to produce even more power into the ground right. or because now they're, they they're not restricted by a position. They're not restricted by a lack of being able to handle that force or that power. Like mm-hmm. we know they can hit that position because we've done all kinds of mobility training, right? Mm-hmm. Like we know that the hip works in the full range of the way a hip should work yeah so they have access to that we know that they're very strong they have access to this underlying strength and ability to activate their muscles we know they're very powerful just a raw power we're talking all this stuff is just raw right Mm -hmm. so we know that if, if we can rule all that stuff out then we realize that the problem is not that they're they're missing some type of underlying quality it's more of just now let's apply specifically to the pole vault and figure out, like, what technique works for them. Right. So there's, there's so many different layers to it. Yeah. And I think that's the problem, is people think too literally about everything all the time. Right. You know, black and white. Well, yeah, I mean, I, I even, as far as, like, the pole vault
0: community, sometimes I'll see people trying to do, like, pole vault-specific lifts. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. you'll see them, like, take a stick, attach it to a bungee, and just do some arm motion. And right. it's like, you know, and it's like, wait a second. If you're trying to train, like whether you do want to hit a certain muscle or you do want to hit a certain movement pattern, there's probably better exercises. You know what I mean? Like that are going to be like way better for you. Like, you know, I, I mean, I don't know, like I I really do like the single leg squat and we've done it a lot here at the club and it's like for me it's like okay, like especially if you you're telling me you want something that's a little bit more specific to sprinting, like there's nothing wrong with a single leg squat. That's great. Mm-hmm. You know, instead of like jumping off a bosu ball and doing right. all kinds of crazy stuff, especially like for me it's like If going back to kind of like the example I gave, if you're someone that just pole vaults and you've never done any serious training, we don't have to have every bell and whistle. Like you need to, I think, build that general strength first so that then you can vary stuff as you get more proficient. You know what I mean? But I feel like people want to jump ahead right away. It's like the, like, um, what I always find interesting is like, you know, someone might look at a workout that someone does. I know in the strength world, you know, it's, if somebody's like a bodybuilder, they'll look at Arnold's like bodybuilding routine when he won his sixth, you know, Mr. Olympia or whatever it was. And it's like, that's not what he did the first time he went into the weight room and you're going into the weight room for the first time or someone on the track will be like, Oh, well, this is Usain Bolt's workout. You're not Usain Bolt yet. Like what did he do on his first practice? You Mm -hmm. know what I mean? And I feel like people want to jump ahead all the time. Um, and I, and I think, look, pole is part of the track world. And I think we get married to the track a little bit. You know, and we start, and, and I get it, you know, you school lets out coach has the whole team, multiple events, let's get on the track. And we're all going to do this 300 meter repeat X, the workout when it's like, this is not necessarily applicable to every athlete in every event. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. You know, instead of like, kind of like getting these athletes prepared to even maybe do that workout properly,
1: you know? Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and, you know, going back to what you're saying about, um, you know, just we're talking about exposure and exposing athletes to different things. The, like the body weight example I've had, I've heard coaches say before, you got to earn your right to get under the bar, right? Like it's mm-hmm. just, they're saying like, if you, if you can't body weight squat, well, you're never going to have weight in your hands or whatever. Like we got to keep st- sticking with that until we get better. Right? right. And in my experience, there's been times where I've given load to an athlete that couldn't do a body weight. Right. And all of a sudden, because of that feedback of like, here's some load, I, whoa, like now I realize I have to my body. I have to, my al- yeah, I have to align my body differently. It's like, this is what, this is the position we're looking for. So sometimes without that load, you don't feel that with just, right. just gravity. But if you add a little bit of load to it, you know, and that's, that's obviously a very generalized exercise, but exactly what you were saying, um, where people are, they're always thinking like too specific when it comes to strength work and things. Whereas listen, the sport itself and the practice for the sport itself is going to guarantee transfer. Like if I'm practicing for pole vault and I'm with you and I'm doing and I'm doing jumps here and vaults and whatever, like I know I'm working pole vaulting. Right. You know, if you yeah. take a sprinter and you do sprint work, yeah. Instead of sitting there being like, how, how many different things can I do that look like sprinting that I can transfer to sprint? It's like, well, if you just sprint, you know, there's a guaranteed transfer. Right. Exactly. Right? So the rest of it is just about, uh, you know, you have to let the athlete operate in what they do and 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 really allow them to be fresh for that. But then we can still bring up these these underlying foundational qualities. Too.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, and, and that's something that I always tell people too. It's like, okay, you are doing pole vault specific things already in pole vault practice. Exactly, yeah. So when you go into the weight room, you don't necessarily have to make everything look like pole vault no. in the weight room. That's not necessary. You need right. to train the movements. You need to train certain muscle groups. You need to, you know, you, you need to train certain conditioning, right? It's like, you know, it's like, okay, typically at your meets, you've got to warm up, take X number of jumps. And then in the meet, you might take X number of jumps and you have to. Prepare Prepare yourself for that, you know, and it's like we have to start thinking more along those lines. It doesn't have to look like pole vault for you to get a good workout, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of we, we still didn't finish your origin story. I'm just thinking about that. <laughs> so you, you go to college, you start studying. Do you play football all four years while you're at URI?
1: Uh, three of them I played. Three okay. of them,
0: okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, what led you down this path of like coaching? You know what I mean? Like, what? How, how'd you end up here?
1: Yeah, so after that I, I did an internship for strength conditioning at University of South Carolina. That was in twenty thirteen. Cool. And so I worked with their uh, football team primarily, but we got to mm-hmm. work a little bit with their soccer team and their whole track and field team too. Okay. So they brought all like you were saying, like all yeah. the track athletes coming together, they're all left yeah. at the same time regardless of event. Yeah. So got to work a little bit and see what they were doing strength conditioning wise at the time with the track team. But then after that I, I was trying to figure out if I wanted to go the college route or what I wanted to do. And ultimately I, I called my, you know, Joe DeFranco who I had yeah. worked out with him mm-hmm. throughout high school and throughout college when I'd be back at home and told him, you know, here's what I'm doing. And I, had done some internships with him and mm-hmm. shadowed him for yeah. a couple of years in the summers. And he said he was going to try to bring in a low level guy and just, yeah. he, it's mine if I wanted it. So at yeah. that point, that's, that's when I started working with Joe and that was twenty thirteen, I've been with him ever since. So I've been with him for, for six years now. And that's how I got into the private sector strength conditioning side. Okay. And just throughout all my experience there, I tried to learn everything I could about strength conditioning, like the classic, like how do you squat, how do you bench, how do you do right. all that stuff. Right. Um, just all the, the the basic the basic stuff that goes into that. And now where I am in my in my career is just trying to understand the context of each sport a little bit better mm-hmm. so that I can then cater the physical preparation side, the strength conditioning to give them a better framework for what they're doing. It's like what you were talking about in track practice. Like, is everybody doing repeat 300s? Even if I'm a thrower or pull vaulter, you know, does it always make sense? It's like, so yeah, we want to build general qualities to make somebody human. But at the same time, we still have to ask ourselves, is this like, just are we beating a dead horse here with this? Like, if we have a football player go run five miles, it's really doing nothing for him, right? Yeah, you it's know, like
0: it's, we don't need to do a marathon runner's training right. if we're not going to run a marathon. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's not ne- necessary. You know, maybe it wouldn't kill you to do a fifteen-minute run every once in a while. You know, but like there might even be better ways than that to, to mm-hmm. do something like that. And and so yeah, I it, and it, and it's funny to me. I, I think sometimes the mistakes that we make as coaches every once in a while is like we get caught up in our own journey a little bit. You know. know. I mean? It's like in the beginning, the beginning stuff was good. And then like, what I think some people do is like, they try to get too fancy and reinvent the wheel when it's like, maybe the athlete you're dealing with today doesn't need that yet. And you have to let them get to that point. Mm -hmm. I mean, one thing I know even for me, I mean, especially for anybody listening, who's like, man, I love doing like fancy, fancy stuff is like, look, unfortunately, a lot of coaches only work with an athlete for two to two to four years, right? They either have the four years in high school or college, not both. I've been very fortunate. I've had people for eight years or longer. Um, but a lot of times you just have a couple years. You may not get that person to that fancy point right. until they already leave, they're leaving you. You yeah. know what I mean? And so that's something you have to keep in mind. Even though maybe you're at a point in your coaching career you'd love to like tinker, you have to make sure you have the right athlete to tinker. Does, mm. does that make sense?
1: Yeah, I think for me it, it comes down to uh, – The problem is complex, and the problem is going to be athletic performance, right? That's a complex problem. So for me, I I believe in simple solutions to the complex problem. Right. So for me, it's just about training effects. So I don't care how fancy what I'm doing might be. I want the athlete to have fun with it. I want them to be engaged in what they're doing and understand why they're doing it. That's super important, too. Right. But to me, I don't really care what it is. I just want to build the effect that I'm trying to get. Right. So if I know I just want an athlete to get stronger – it doesn't matter if I use a squat or a single leg squat or even whatever. Some you know, box squat variation yeah. could, or could, different could be, barbell or could be a deadlift. Yeah. Could, you know, I've had NFL guys that can't squat because of hip and back problems and, and injuries mm-hmm. and things like that. But yeah. they can do a split pattern, whatever. So it's, we'll never squat. That's fine. Let's just do what, what you can to get stronger. That's the training right. effect we want to build. Right. right. Same thing with different types of explosive power, elastic mm-hmm. power, whatever it might be. So yeah. I'm just looking for a training effect. I'm not really... Uh, Too worried about how fancy everything's going to look. And in fact, I'd rather it be more simple, where because the sport itself is so complex. So if I'm going to make the weight room crazy complex, that's going to take away brain capacity for my pole vault practice later. Right. Whereas if I could do simpler exercise, get the same training effect, now they they have more uh, cognitive capacity to just funnel that into pole vault practice, right. I'm, I'm as focused as I need to be here because I didn't do anything super crazy or super fancy in the weight room. I just did what I needed to do to get strong and powerful. Yeah, yeah. And now let's go just maximize this pole vault practice.
0: Right. No, 100%. I, I mean, if... It, you bring up a good point. It's like someone's already trying to learn a, like a very intricate technique or skill, like in a sport like pole vaulting. And it's like if the strength and conditioning stuff is so complicated, first of all, when are they going to master it to actually get it done? Right. And then it's like, yeah, they still have that sport that they're trying to master. You know, um, so that, that's really interesting point. So I, I have a, a, I guess one last question for you. So I mean, obviously, I had a pole vaulting session, right? Um, so let's say like my athletes that come in three days a week, you know, two, two of those days are very, I would say CNS heavy, right? Like they're going like from a longer approach, they're going full speed, um, they're running and then jumping off the ground and then, you know, doing everything off, off the ground as well. Um, what I've always struggled as a pole vault coach is like, how do I, you know, appropriately integrate like maybe some box jumps or, or some kind of plyometrics where it's not going to... You know what I mean? Like I'm not going to zap them too much and they'll actually get a quality plyometric workout. Is that something I need to worry about? Like what 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 advice would you give for that? Because that's what I always struggled to balance with. I always felt like it was very easy to like pull vault and then do like the general lift session. But I I've had trouble integrating like some of the explosive stuff into that.
1: Yeah, I mean, for me, I'm always... I think the most important thing is going to be the sports practice for sure. So we want that to be as quality as possible. So Mm -hmm. at times, if you know you want to have a really intense vaulting session, then you might have to cut out something like jumps or plyometrics or something like that. But if you know you want to start including that type of work and do so organically, holistically with everything else you're doing Mm – I think a lot of it is just going to be you got to use definitely your coaching eye first of all because right. you got to really pay attention to how they're responding to that Right, and the quality of the jumps right. and stuff. Yeah. yeah. And so and then and then the subsequent you know practice itself, the sports practice, what's happening there? What does that look like? And so for me, a lot of what I do in my in my volumes and and, mm-hmm. and all of that is uh, people go, people probably look at my program and they'd be like, "Where, where the hell did you get this from?" You know, because because yeah, yeah. what it is is like I said before is I see the problem as the problem is. And mm-hmm. then I think, how do I, how do I try to solve that problem? Whatever it might be, like we need to improve better elasticity in their power, like spring mm-hmm. off the ground. Yeah. How do I improve that? And then will it transfer to what we're doing with more game-oriented stuff? Right. If it's a team sport athlete or something like pole vault practice, how does it transfer over? And a lot of my volumes have been trial and error. I mean, it's just – so I'm, I'm, I'm measuring jumps. I'm, I'm observing the athletes. I'm getting their feedback. And then we're looking at how they're operating in a sport context. And so the answer is fuzzy because yeah. a lot of it is just trial and error and determining yeah, you what's, what... what's the least amount we can do, get the effect we want, and it won't take away from sports practice. That's the goal. You yeah. Know? No, I, look, because
0: this is sometimes even like one of my things, watching people Olympic lifts sometimes. Like I'll watch, like, you know, athletes will post their Olympic lifts on Instagram or something like that. And look, the weights might even be impressive sometimes, but I'm watching the Olympic lifts I'm like... That doesn't look explosive. Right. It, it it didn't didn't look smooth. Didn't there was no pop. And it's just like you're kind of just muscling this. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, well, this is kind of defeating the purpose. Yeah. You, you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. So I, I I always like yeah. I, I feel like that's the toughest thing is the the explosive stuff getting that
1: to mesh in w- w- with everything else. Um. And the skill, right. So yeah. if, if it doesn't look great, it's not great. And, yeah. And that that's when when I'm doing my lifting, even now, I'd rather a guy had a really smooth rep of some type of lift at like 75%. That's going to take him, and, it, and it's moving well and fluid, that's going to take yeah. him so much further than let's load you up and try to beat your last heavy squat or whatever it is. yeah. Like, I don't yeah. I care less yeah. about that now. As a, so it's the interplay of outputs and skill and coordination. So mm-hmm. if you're only chasing outputs, like you're talking about Calvin where he's like, yeah. I, I just want to, I want my gym numbers to go through the roof. Great. Like, yeah, we want to improve outputs, but not at the expense of coordination and skill. Right. 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 So it's just coordination and skill are, are first and foremost. If that's, if that's in place and we can keep that intact and then we can improve outputs there, then they're going to interplay really well. But if we're chasing too much of one without the other, that's where, you know, we need to worry about that.
0: Yeah, yeah, uh, you know, yeah. So I mean, look, I think, I, I think a lot of this podcast, we went deep into certain issues, <laughs> um, but I, I think you know, strength and conditioning is insanely important. You, you got to be going in the weight room. You got to be doing something. I mean, I think. I think if you're someone who hasn't been doing that, you know, start with, you know, even assisted pull-ups if you have to, Mm -hmm. you know, learn how to bench press, learn how to squat, learn how to deadlift, you know, slowly start to add weight, you know, and as you get that general strength, you know, I think it's going to, it's going to pay off in in dividends because what I notice a lot of times too is like, there's just so many athletes out there that have not pushed any of those limits. And then they're struggling to figure out why they've plateaued performance-wise in the pole vault. But it's like, if you don't improve your body, there's gonna, then you're at a limit. You know what I mean? Like, you, you don't have what it takes for the next level. Like, I even think about, you know, the beginning of this podcast, you talking about your high school football career. And it's like, Yeah, you were at your physical limits when you weighed 150 pounds and weren't doing any serious strength and conditioning. Mm -hmm. And then you get up to that 185, 195 part, and now you're a different athlete. You were told you weren't going to play in college, and you played three years. Mm -hmm. I mean, so it's like that's the amazing transformation that can happen if you do an appropriate strength and conditioning program. I know also this is sometimes the knock, though. This is what I'll tell you. I've had athletes here who, you know, obviously they're training the pole vault, But they're really pushing the strength and conditioning, and they've done crazy numbers. Like, they are jumping well above what they would naturally be capable of. And the unfortunate thing is, if that athlete continues to vault and stops doing the training, you soon see that athlete jump very subpar. Like, let's say we're talking about a female athlete that jumps 12 feet. If she stops training hard, well, all of a sudden she starts jumping 10 6, and everybody's like, oh, what happened? They stopped training. Mm. You know, or, or you have an athlete, a male athlete that jumps 15, 16 feet. It's like, what happens? Like they stop training. Like, cause training is going to have that kind of impact. Like you said, that, that one football player is like, if he was 245 fast, 240, not fast. 250, not fast. It's like you guys even found that tight of a window for that athlete, which which is kind of amazing when you think about it that you guys were able to narrow it down like that. But it's like if you don't ever go into that strength and conditioning, you'll never know what you could potentially do. Right. Um, so I just, I hopefully this podcast helps get people thinking a little bit and get the ball rolling and you know gets them maybe into the weight room and and trying stuff out. Um, I mean, do you have any last words for anybody or if you want them to contact you, how they can contact you or, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, last words, I agree exactly with what you just said. I think it's going to be about giving athletes different experiences so you can free up possibly these levels of skill coordination outputs that might not have been available to them previously. And then obviously over time, you're going to have diminishing returns. If you're getting stronger, powerful, you can't just infinitely get super right. strong, super powerful, mm-hmm. super fast. But you still have to maintain the level where you get to when you start to level right. off. So mm-hmm. maintain that and then try to maximize the, the technical training and the, and the sports right. training as well. So, but you still have to maintain that baseline level of fitness because if you don't, it will go away. Like yeah. that's, that's just, that's part of yeah, it. Like it does, exactly it what you're saying. It doesn't stay, stay no. with you forever. You, you got to maintain it. Even if it's, you're doing a couple sets of a lift or something, as long as you're giving your body that signal of, Hey, don't forget to be strong.
0: Right. Know, then, uh.
1: then if you, if you remove that, it'll be like, Hey, I don't have to be strong. I just need to be a good pole vaulter. Well, well right.
0: Like I, I even, I just like kind of almost simplify it. And I think about that whole like uh, adaption thing, right? Mm-hmm. It's like you give enough stress, you're going to adapt and get better too much stress. You'll crash and burn. Not enough stress, you'll get worse. Yep. You know, and so it's like yeah, that's how I always think about it. Like, you have to manage that that stress. Um, Cam, thanks again for doing the podcast. This this was awesome. Um, you know, you gave a wealth of knowledge. Um, for anybody who has any questions, you can always email us at apexvaulting at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram at The Real Apex Vaulting. And we're also Apex Vaulting on Facebook, Snapchat, and Twitter. Um, thanks for listening, everybody.